When you live in a former communist country, sometimes the Cold War comes to mind. Radio Free Europe was a staple of the Cold War world, and after the Velvet Revolution and the fall of communism in Europe, it morphed into something else. I'm here today with Grant Podelko, who is the editor-in-chief of RFERL.org, which is the Radio Free Europe Radio Liberty website in English. Uh, Grant has been in Prague for a very long time and has a variety of interests and talents. Hi, Grant. Hi, Derek. Thanks for coming on. You're welcome. And thank you, everybody, for listening to this episode of Prague Times. A city is much more than just a collection of buildings. It's a location, it's a history, it's a culture, it's ideas and ideals, and a city is also, most importantly, the people in it. This is Prague Times, the podcast that takes a look at the city of Prague in the Czech Republic. With more than a thousand years of history, there's a lot to talk about. We'll talk about the past of Prague, but we'll also talk about the city as it is today, future plans for the city, and much more. It's Prague then, Prague now, and Prague later. And this is Prague Times. So, Grant, Radio Free Europe, I believe, it was its 70th year, is that correct? Yep, this is our, it's, it's actually a good time to do this podcast because it's our 70th year this year and our 25th year of being headquartered in Prague. Right. It wasn't. It wasn't always here. No, it was in Munich um, from 1950 until 1995. I think it started in July of 1950 with a broadcast to Czechoslovakia, and ah. so that's what kicked everything off. But then, uh, when the Soviet Union collapsed and the Berlin Wall fell, and all that happened, the U.S. Congress, which funds Radio Free Europe, decided to slash our budget because they didn't think there was a need for something like Radio Free Europe anymore. Right, we beat those commie bastards, exactly. and then now, uh, now uh, let's spend that money on something else. Exactly. So our, our budget, I think it was 400 and some million back then, got slashed to like 70 million or something like that. Ooh. And Germany is a very expensive place to do business with all the labor laws and everything, and they simply couldn't afford to, to be in Munich anymore. And Václav Havel, uh, who was president uh, at the time, uh, by that time it was the Czech Republic, uh, who was a huge fan during his dissident days of Radio for Europe, decided to say, hey, you know, um, we've got this empty parliament building after the split of the country. The, the federal parliament building at the top of Wenceslas Square was empty. And he offered it to Radio for Europe, I believe, for like one crown a year. Wow. And so I, just a token rent. A token rent. Mm-hmm. Uh, and um, Radio for Europe up and moved to Prague. Hmm. And uh, a lot of people had lives in Munich. Uh, they had a very comfortable existence there and decided not to move to Prague. Uh-huh. And so a lot of jobs came open. And uh, I was a journalist in the U.S. And, and had always wanted to work and live in Europe. And I saw an ad in the New York Times for uh, some job openings in Prague with Radio for Europe. And I applied. And, uh, and here I am. So that's how you came to Prague. Yeah. So you actually came not because, hey, Prague, but you were like, journalism, Radio Free Europe. Yeah. Uh, yes. I, I, I really didn't want to come to Prague. That wasn't my goal. I really wanted, I'm a big Anglophile, so I wanted to be in London or, or Dublin or someplace like that. And I don't speak any foreign languages, even though I took Spanish for like 12 years. I, um, <laughs> so, but 
uh, a, a very good friend of mine, in fact, my best friend from the college days, was working for Radio for Europe in Munich. And he did make the, the journey over to Prague and became the head of the newsroom, of the English newsroom, although I actually did see the ad in the New York Times. So he knew my reputation, knew I was a decent journalist, and also uh, gave the good word and helped me get hired, and, and I came to Prague. Wow, that's crazy. <laughs> in May 1st of 1995. So, I mean, during the Cold War, Radio Free Europe was this kind of, it was a little bit like, like how, how similar is it to Voice of America? Well, Voice of America, there's a difference between Radio Free Europe and Voice of America. Voice of America is, I think, supposed to tell America's story to the right. world. Uh, and they broadcast in English all over the world. And they're a federal entity, so they're funded by the U.S. government. Mm. Radio for Europe is a private, nonprofit organization that is funded by a grant from the U.S. Congress. Ah. So we're a private organization. We do not broadcast in English at all. We mm. broadcast in 27 languages to 23 different countries. English is not one of those languages. The only thing we do in English is the website that I am the editor-in-chief of. And what that does is allow the rest of the world to get a little window into what we're broadcasting to our region. So, yes, it was started during the Cold War basically to promote democratic institutions and democratic values and to provide a free press to countries where there is no free press. And it's called a surrogate broadcaster, which is kind of a, a weird, boring name. But it means that if you're living in Belarus, you can back then turn on the radio, shortwave at that time, and get news about what's happening in Belarus that you weren't going to get from the state-run media. Though so the state-run media would probably say, yeah, yeah, what they told you is a lie. It's just propaganda. Exactly, exactly. Yeah. So we did that for, for many, many years. We did have some relationship with the Central Intelligence Agency for... <coughs> that's a whole different podcast. <laughs> but that ended officially in 1971, I believe. And since then, we've basically just been reporting uh, the news in our broadcast countries, uh, straight-ahead news and culture programs for people who don't have access to that sort of thing. And if you look at our website today, uh, rferl.org, RFERL is Radio Free Europe, Radio Liberty. Radio Liberty is the Russian service. Ah. It was a separate entity for a while, and then they merged and called us Radio Free Europe, Radio mm -hmm. Liberty. But if you look at our website, RFERL.org, right now in English, I would say anything you see there could easily be published in the Washington Post or the New York Times or, mm -hmm. anything, or in the BBC. There's no propaganda. It's just straight-ahead news and analysis, and we're very proud of, of the work that we do. You know, in this social media age and internet age, information and news and things like this move faster and everything's been sort of reduced down to these sound bites and little clickbait headlines. And frankly, I even see the BBC now. Like, I used to always think that BBC articles were the well-written ones. Not necessarily the case anymore. I'm beginning to see sloppier writing, clickbait headlines and stuff. And so things like this and also things like, you know, what Jonathan Stein, who also lives here in Prague, does with uh, Project Syndicate. I think it's it's valuable. There are these other news sources that maybe people don't know about that still, for lack of a better word, practice old-fashioned journalism. Yeah. Well, I mean, we're we're interested in getting people to read our stories too, and so we have social videos that uh, that we have on Facebook. 
Um, we have, you know, sexy stories as well, as well as Woo-hoo! like, as well as uh, just straight ahead analysis and news about what's happening in our countries. You know, we're called Radio for Europe, but we don't really do radio. I mean, there's a, a very small part of what we do is radio anymore because no one listens to radio for the most part. Right. That's just where it came from. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and there's some talk about changing the name or whatever, but it's such an iconic name. I mean, I remember back, it's funny, you can find this on YouTube. Maybe you can put the link on, on your podcast page, but there's an, a commercial that I distinctly remember from the early 70s of this guy in New York City coming out of the subway and he was broadcasting on Radio Free Europe uh, back to, I think it was Romania, and he played On Broadway by George Benson, I believe it was. Uh-huh. Do you remember that song? Yeah, yeah, yeah. On Broadway. Yeah, yeah and yeah. It, and it was a commercial for Radio Free Europe. Ha! And it's still lodged in my brain. And to think that all these years, uh, you know, 50 years later, that I would be working for Radio Free Europe is very interesting. But, but now we're doing, it's all digital, it's all TV and internet, some radio, Afghanistan radio is still very, very big in Afghanistan. So, I mean, it has changed with the times yes. and moved with the times, but you guys are still trying to do more in-depth analysis, more in-depth pieces. Exactly. And we used to broadcast to the Baltic countries. We used to broadcast to, to Czechoslovakia, to uh, Croatia, to you know countries that have now basically evolved and had a free press. However, we stopped broadcasting to places like Bulgaria and Romania, and now we are broadcasting to those countries again because things have devolved, not evolved. Well, I got to ask then, Poland, Hungary... They're the two problem children of the EU right now, besides, you know, the UK. Yeah, uh, Hungary as well. We are now mm. broadcasting to Hungary. There's talk of Poland, but we haven't uh, gone there yet. Mm. But Hungary, Romania, and Bulgaria are three countries that we stopped broadcasting to back in the 90s and now are broadcasting to again. And, of course, the situation in Russia, which is our biggest broadcast country, you know, in 95, early 90s, uh, Yeltsin was inviting us to come into the country and giving us bureaus and things. And, of course, under Putin, you know, he's basically kicked us out of the country. Yeah, not so much. So <laughs> things are, you know, people think, oh, well, when I talk about Radio for Europe in the States to somebody, they say, does that still exist? You know, what, <laughs> what, what is that needed for? And, and you know, the situation in the broadcast countries uh, of Radio for Europe is as bad or worse than it ever has been. Mm-hmm. You know, places like Russia, Iran, Belarus, Turkmenistan, Uzbekistan, Tajikistan, you know, these countries are run the- by authoritarian leaders who do not want a free press. Globally, you guys have, I mean, you've got some big numbers, right? You guys have quite a listenership. Well, we do in our broadcast countries. Like I said, we have 27 broadcast countries, or 23 broadcast countries in 27 languages, and we reach more than 40 million, I think more than 41 million people every week on various platforms, including, you know, Facebook, uh, YouTube, uh, television. The website. The websites Mm -hmm. and everything like that. Just in terms of websites, I think we've had more, uh, almost three quarters of a billion, with a B, visits to the website this year. To, to this our ver- year? This year, to all the wow. websites that we have. So we're Those reaching... some good numbers. <laughs> we're reaching a lot of people uh, in our broadcast regions. And uh, we also have this uh, channel called Current Time, 
which is a, a satellite TV channel that broadcasts into Russia. Doesn't need Putin's permission to uh, to do that. Uh, and that not only broadcasts in, in our broadcast region, but also I think is available in 10 or 15 countries outside. So like in Israel, you can you can get current time. Uh, so. Right. Do you guys have any kind of a, I don't know, a feedback system or an ROI system to know like, hey, what we're doing is is worthwhile and it's, it's having an effect? Or is there any way for you to tell? Or are you just kind of broadcasting and hoping for the best? No, no. There's, there's you know, measurements of audience in, in almost all of our countries, even though some of them are, are authoritarian. But, uh, you know, everybody has Facebook pages and uh, websites. And so I think the feedback from the audience for those specific countries is quite strong. Mm. So you're based here in Prague. You have, like, bureaus elsewhere as well yeah how many people work for you yeah we have i think more than 600 almost 700 people here in prague wow and then um all around the region we have like 1300 correspondents all across the area yeah you know it's uh it's it's a larger operation than most people realize when they think of this sort of cold war dinosaur we're, we're out there. right we're out there right now are those correspondents are they staff writers or are they stringers it's or? a mixture uh-huh. it's a mixture so, you know, and, and, and those people are out in the field. They are operating under, in many cases, under very dangerous conditions. Mm. We just had a journalist in Afghanistan who was targeted and killed in a car bombing. We have six journalists in jail in Belarus right now. You know, these, these correspondents are working in countries where they generally don't want people like us to be working. Right. You're, you're, you're meddlesome foreigners. Yes. And um, you just have to tip your cap to, to these people because they're putting their lives, their families at risk uh, just for doing their jobs. And in many cases, like with our Afghan colleague a few weeks ago, um, he was reporting on corruption in the Taliban and they didn't like what he was doing. And they attached a sticky bomb to his car and he was killed. Jesus. This is, this is serious stuff. The stakes are still high. Very high. Just because the Cold War was over doesn't mean well, anything. Well, that's the thing. It's just it's it's as bad or worse than it ever was with with Putin and some of the leaders in in the countries that we broadcast to. It, it's as vital. I, I you know I'm not just saying this because I work for Radio Free Europe, but I I believe that our mission is as vital as it ever has been. So you came here in '95. You've you've been here consistently the whole time. Uh, I left. In the end of 1999, because uh, my wife at the time and I thought we'd had enough of Prague, and I had this... um, A lot of us in 1999 (laughs) thought that. Yeah. So, you know, and I used to work for newspapers in the States for all of my career, and I really did miss working for a newspaper where you could see people reading your work, you know, in the diner or whatever, and just that hands-on sort of aspect to it, which... Radio Free Europe did not give me at the time. Um, And so, you know, we'd been here almost five years and I ended up going back to the U.S. I got an amazing job working uh, as the features editor in Eugene, Oregon at the Eugene Register Guard, which is a fantastic paper at the time. Uh, It's (laughs) undergone new owners uh, in the past few years and that's a whole different story. You're on notice. (laughs) (laughs) But it was a great paper. So in 2000 through 2001, I was working in Eugene, Oregon. And like many people um, who leave Prague, they realize they made a horrible mistake. Uh, Especially when you go back to the U.S. and yeah. you're like, I don't think I like it here yeah. very much. It was great for like six months. Yeah. You know, it was sort of the novelty was there. Yeah, everybody spoke English. Yeah. 
Uh, I, yeah, I could go to the diner and read my morning newspaper and, and uh, just order things on the phone or whatever. But after about six months, I was like, you know, I have no vacation because I'm working for an American company and people don't socialize like they do here. Everybody sort of at the end of the workday goes back to their homes, which are, you know, various distances from the workplace. Uh, and I really miss that social aspect of Prague and being able to travel and have vacation. Mm. Um, and so I, <laughs> I wrote Radio for Europe back and I said, is it, it's not possible I could come back, is it? And sure enough, basically what was my old job was still available. And they hadn't <laughs> filled it or there's like that version? It wasn't the back. exact same job, but, but it was basically the same job in the newsroom as, mm. a, as an editor. And mm. they hired me back uh, after 18 months being away. And I came back in August of 2001. And I've been here ever since, and I'm not mm. going to make that mistake again. So, so I mean, you think you do you think you're like, yeah, it's Prague, or you just like want to live in? Like my wife and I say this all the time. People say, so do you think you're going to like retire here and die here? And I'm like, first off, stop talking about death. I'm not that old. <laughs> uh, but second, like, I'm not ready to commit to. Yes, I'm going to breathe my last breath in Prague specifically. Yeah. But it will almost certainly be somewhere in Europe. Yeah. I mean, I can see always having a base here because it really feels like home to me. Uh, I'm sadly one of these people who've lived here for 38,000 years who does not speak Czech. Um, I have an English job and I've just managed as other people in my situation have to, to get by and just pretend like you're a tourist for 20 years or whatever. So I know a lot of words, but I can't string them together into anything coherent. So <laughs> just kind of uh, telegraph. Yeah, like I can, I can understand what, <laughs> yeah, right. I can understand what people are saying for the most part. And I can sort of make myself understood, but, mm. but it's pretty sad. But, uh, but again, I took Spanish for like 12 years and still can't speak Spanish. So ne habla. Yeah, <laughs> donde esta la biblioteca? So, so but no, I, I love Prague. Prague is such a an amazing place, and it's been so so wonderful to me and my family. And um, you know, I'm getting to the age where I'm thinking about retirement, and I can't imagine not always having a place in Prague to come mm -hmm. back to, even if I'm retired in you know. I, my dream is to retire in Western Ireland, but that's a whole other story. That's a whole other story, <laughs> right? I also know you're a big outdoorsy kind of guy. You like to That's go me. out yep. and, and wander around. You used to have a bicycle blog, Grant's I, bike I, blog. Yeah, That's I, how I first heard about you. People were like, well, you know Grant's bike, bike blog? And I said, no, what the hell is that? <laughs> you used to do that. Yeah. It's still there, uh, progbikeblog.blogspot.com. Uh, I just don't cycle as much as I used to, but I was going out almost every day or you know three or four times a week with some of my friends. And I also like to take photos. So I have an Instagram account and things like that. but And I'd like to just say they're very nice photos. Oh, thank you. Thank you. You have a good eye. So I would go out on these bike rides and also take photos and write about our, our experiences. It was mostly beer drinking interrupted by periods of cycling. <laughs> For people that don't know, every hiking trail, every bicycle trail, like what, every couple of kilometers, yeah, it, it, there's a pub. Yeah, if not every few meters. <laughs> So, but, uh, you know, so we went on some really amazing, amazing trips and, you know, uh, just to t give a plug to Prague cycling, you know, uh, cycling in the city is, pr is pretty awful. I mean, there's some bike lanes and, and yeah, stuff. Yeah, it's not a bicycle friendly. City. No, I mean, uh, the bike lanes are pretty uh, deadly, deadly. Yeah. <laughs> but if you just get on the metro, I, I live in Prague 6 and have for, for quite some time. And from Prague 6, you can go along the river uh, on either side of the river, up basically down the river toward Germany. Mm. And there's bike paths. Paths, you know, 
know, dedicated bike paths. Uh, you can get onto the country roads, even though they're not bike paths. There's very few cars out there. Mm-hmm. And so there's some amazing riding out toward like Okorj and Statsanitsa uh, and Chernivul and uh, Rostoki. Uh, there's some some pubs and some breweries in like Unyatitsa, which is a great... Which is... <laughs> it actually might be my favorite beer in the Oh, world. it's fantastic. It's, it's It's great. And from, you know, if you take your bike onto the onto the metro and get off at Hrachanska or Davidska and, you know, Unyatitsa is, is a very short bike ride away and it's mostly without any cars. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it's just, you know, and so that's what I was doing. And so the bike blog sort of evolved from there and picked just up. a labor of love. It was a labor of love yeah. and, and get, got me to put my photos online and stuff. So, mm-hmm. um, and I did it for, what was it, it was like 2007 or so until, I mean, it's still up and I... I think the last post was maybe a couple of years ago, but uh, I'd, I'd like to do it again. I'd like to pick it back up again. You ever think about writing a book? No, I'm too lazy, I think. <laughs> I did think about putting my, if there's a way to put all the blog posts into a book. That's what I'm saying. You could say, like, here are bike trails. And- yeah, it wasn't quite that organized. I, I, I did have some trails that I mapped out on my Garmin, you know, GPS thing. But it was, yeah, if you go into the blog, you'll see. It's, it was more impromptu kind of stuff. And obviously you can find that and other links to other things we're talking about in the uh, show notes. Yes. And I also have another blog, which was called Gusto, which was just oh. about um, living life, um, doing cool stuff, travel, wine, cigars. The good, the good stuff. Yeah, yeah. So I, I also don't post to that very much anymore, but um, my Gusto seems to have uh, disappeared a bit with my advanced age. But, but it's still there, and I did post a few weeks ago on a fun story that happened to me. But. All right, so you have to check that out to hear that story. And then, of course, when you and I first met, uh, it was through the auspices of uh, Prague Shakespeare Company, run by Guy Roberts and Jessica Boone. Uh, how did you get involved with that? Just so people know, Prague Shakespeare Company is uh, really Europe's only full-time English-language classical theater company uh, run by Guy Roberts and Jessica Boone, and Grant was acting. You know, i always been interested in theater since I was in high school uh, and played a shepherd or something in some school play. Um, but uh, And I would go to the English-language theater. I remember going to... to um, I can't remember the name of the companies back in the 90s. You might remember. Black Box. Black Box. Mm-hmm. That was Nancy Bishop and Beth Russell. Yeah, and there, there was some show, I think it was called Sod. It was like the Marquis de Sod show um, that just made a huge impression on me. And uh, this was back in, you know, 98 or yeah, so, I think somewhere. Yeah, it was, was Marat Sod. Yeah, was. yes, yeah. yes. And so I always thought to myself, oh, it'd be cool to, to do something like that. Maybe I could do something like that. And uh, back, you know, more recently, back in 2015 or so, going to a lot of Prague Shakespeare shows uh, at the Kolovrat Theater, which is a very intimate theater uh, near the Estates Theater. And just, again, thought, well, I might want to do that. So I contacted Guy, uh, who I knew briefly, I think, th- th- you know, through a party or something like that. Right, after the show. Yeah. To go to the cast party, and there he is. And I said, you know, I might. Five seconds. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So I said, you know, I might want to do that. And he said, well, why don't you audition for the Gravedigger in uh, Hamlet? Hamlet. And, ah. uh, and, and I was like, no, 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 I can't do that. No, no. <laughs> and I, so I totally freaked out and backed out. <laughs> and then like a year later, so that might have been 2014 or something. And, uh, and then a year later, something else, I guess it was auditions for Twelfth Night. And I decided to, to do it. Take the plunge. And I got it. I got the part. And in fact, it was two parts, two small parts. One was the sea captain. 
and one was the priest. I think I saw that. So that was yeah. your, that was your debut. That was my debut. I saw that performance. It was so much fun, and I think I did okay. Yeah. Because I kind of look like a sea captain. <laughs> and my first stage appearance was with Jessica. You know, on that stage at the Colorado, and I was I just fell in love. I just I was hooked. So I think I've done eight or nine shows with mm-hmm. those guys. Not huge roles, um, but big enough for me. And uh, and in fact, in February, just before COVID hit. Um, um, we took a tour of Richard III to India. So, you know, the, the fact that I got to go to India and do Shakespeare, it just uh, blows my mind still to think about it. So, Radio Free Europe, bicycling, living life to the fullest, <laughs> blogging. Yeah sporadically these yeah, days yeah, yeah. theater yeah what the heck else what's what's the future hold for you i mean it, here we are at the beginning of 2021 like what uh what's what what are the plans just keep chugging along you got more ambitions i'm thinking about retirement i'll be 60 in a few months you will not i will be 60 in april no yes you <laughs> got you should see this guy he does not look 59 <laughs> he looks younger than me uh, thank you, Derek. That's very kind. So I, I'm not one of these people who wants to work forever and ever and ever. I want to get out and enjoy what the rest of my life might have to offer. So I'm um, thinking about retirement and um, just how to enjoy life. And Prague, I think, will always be part of that. Um, I do want to try to do some more cycling and maybe resurrect the, the bike blog if I can. Mm. And I love to travel. And, of course, none of us have been traveling much mm. uh, over the past year. Uh, yeah, we're all sort of chomping at the bit. Yeah. Like, oh, I just need to go somewhere. I don't even care where. I'll go to Nuremberg. I don't care. <laughs> exactly. Which is a nice city, by the way. Yeah. Yeah, I was there in the 90s for the Christmas market, but I haven't been back. It's, so, it's pretty it's pretty. Yeah. Awesome. yeah. So I'd like to certainly do some more travel and, and write about it. Um, mm. I love writing as well and um, maybe some more. More sort of serious writing instead of just on my bike blog. So I don't know. I mean, Prague is, is one of these, you know, they say Paris is a movable feast and Prague, I think, is the same because you can do whatever you want here and mm. uh, it just gives you the freedom to, to pursue whatever areas you're interested in. And so um, I look forward to doing some more writing, some more traveling. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I just love it here. I mean, you know, uh, I don't want to say Czechs are hedonists, but they're <laughs> kind of they're kind of hedonist light. I mean, they they're really into like drinking, yeah, but not like to get drunk. They like to they're a pub culture. They like to drink to drink and yes. hang out with their friends. It's a socializing thing. They love to hang out and talk to each other about anything. They like to read. They love music. They just love all of the quote unquote good things in life. And uh, I think for people who are interested in living that kind of a lifestyle, this is kind of kind of the perfect place. It's Paris is much the same way, but this is a heck of a lot cheaper. It is a lot cheaper. <laughs> It is a lot cheaper. No, I mean, you know, we uh, finally bought a cottage. Speaking of the Czech lifestyle. Oh, that's classic. So uh, we'll have it for two years, I think, this spring. So we love going out there. And uh, yeah, no, you're absolutely right, Derek. And, and, um, you know, I've got a bucket list of uh, literally uh, on my computer of things that I want to try to do. You know, I'm a motorcyclist. And so I want to do Route 66 in the States. And Mm -hmm. always wanted to go to the Maldives. And I want to see the Northern Lights for myself. Yes. So, you know, those kind of things are definitely on the radar and um, try to pick them off one by one. As soon as, soon as uh, lockdowns are lifted, <laughs> exactly. and airplanes are still flying again and stuff. And of course, we're here in the literally the center of the continent. Yes. And so it's super easy for us to get anywhere. I mean, what, Dublin is 
two hours? Oh, don't not even. Don't mention Dublin. I, I it's one of my favorite places. So really? I think I've been to Dublin like twenty times in the past twenty years. Really? Yeah, yeah. Eh, so I, I want to retire I liked, to. I liked Dublin. Uh, yeah. I didn't like it that much, but I like <laughs> I liked it. I, I liked mean, Dublin's it. great, but I'm more of a Western Ireland kind of guy. So, oh, uh, but I love Ireland. My roots are Scotch Irish. I would so, never know to look at you. <laughs> so when I go to Ireland or Scotland, I really feel this spiritual connection. Like, you know, I, mm-hmm. I, like I belong. Like I, I, These are my people. These are my people, exactly. So. I have exactly... It's funny. My name's DeWitt, and even though the Dutch side of my family, we were what was known as Dirty Dutch, which is German-Dutch mix, and I'm just a mutt like many Americans. But when I go to the Netherlands, I have a similar thing. Uh-huh. I'm like... It's not the culture, it's the people themselves. There's something about their physicality that I go, oh, I feel like we're of the same tribe, strangely enough, except you're all much taller than I am. (laughs) Well, they're very cool as well. I wouldn't mind uh, ending up there uh, in Amsterdam or elsewhere. So you like cold countries. You know, <laughs> there's no, you're not going, yeah, I got to go to Greece. Because most people are like, I want to go somewhere warm. You want to go somewhere wet, cold, and windy. Uh, yeah, this is a point of contention with my wife, who <laughs> who doesn't like cold, wet, and windy. But there, again, just something, when I'm on the west coast of Ireland, and the cliffs and the waves crashing, yeah, I'm freezing my butt off, but there's just something that just really speaks to me. So having mm-hmm. a cottage on the coast where I can write my book or <laughs> work on my bike blog or whatever sad little project I have uh, is just very appealing to me and have a glass of whiskey and a pint of Guinness and whatever so and a lot of other things yes yeah, <laughs> yeah right. Daisy Sindelar is my wife she's uh, so smart and so dedicated we got hired in the same year as a matter of fact she really? was she was she's a fluent Russian speaker and was working in Russia for many many years and came to uh, Radio for Europe in February of 2001 I think and then I came in August of 2001 so is that where you guys met we did meet in the in the in the radio yeah Oh, so that's yeah. lovely. Not only spreading free press, democracy, and uh, democratic ideals, but uh, bringing people together. That's Radio Free <laughs> Europe, Radio Liberty, Radio Love. <laughs> Thank you, Derek. <laughs> so like many people who come here to Prague and end up deciding that this is where they want to spend at least part of their time. Grant Padelko is a man of many interests, many talents. Okay, sure. It's, it's right. true. Yeah, keep, keep going. Sometime actor for Prague Shakespeare Company, outdoor enthusiast, writer, and of course, full-time journalist and editor-in-chief for the Radio Free Europe Radio Liberty website, which is rferl.org. Again, check the episode notes for links to all of the things we talked about and much, much more. I'd like to thank you for talking to me today, Grant. Thank you. Thank you, Derek. This was a lot of fun. All right. And thank you, everybody, for listening to this episode of Prague Times. Down, down, down. <laughs> thank you for listening to this episode of Prague Times. If you liked this episode, be sure to like it or share it and tell your friends. Check us out on all of our social media platforms for extra goodies as well. Until next time, this has been Prague Times. <laughs>